Good morning. You know, one of the things, I've been attending this church now since August 1st as mission and outreach coordinator, and one of the things that I am so impressed with is this worship team. I mean, it's just like week after week, we got new people. Who was it? What's his name? Uh, Ben. I mean, who's Ben? He comes out of nowhere, and he's singing fantastically. Praise God. Mary Kay. I mean, yeah. Amen. (laughs) Heidi Hatch, last week. I mean, she could sing on American Idol or something. Geesh, that girl's got some pipes. Um, but as I said, my name's Tim Swagger, as it says up there. Yeah, and I'm the coordinator of mission and outreach, filling Charlie's shoes since August 1st. Those have been really big shoes to fill, because his feet are bigger than mine, I think. Sure. Um, but uh, it has been just wonderful to be a part of Uh, this body of believers here. Awesome to be with serving with Bill and Kristen and the team um, in this great ministry that you guys have out here uh, at Bemis Point. Awesome things happening. And you know, as we wind down uh, the year 2017, I thought about naming the sermon What's Next because as we finish out our year, we're, all, we're often thinking about what's next, what's coming up next in the, in the upcoming year, and so, so I thought it would be good to talk about that today a little bit. Um, and some, as, as you're thinking about what happened in 2017, some of you are celebrating your accomplishments and some awesome things. Some of you, like myself, are thinking, did I get anything done this last year? It has gone by so fast. Uh, probably my best accomplishments this past year were, um, number one, you know, I gained 10 pounds. <laughs> Pretty proud of that one. That's not really difficult in the Swagger household. Um, I have more gray hairs than, and an extra chin for those new gray hairs to grow on. <laughs> and my daughter, who's now 14, plays basketball at Southwestern, has now eclipsed me in my athletic prowess, um, took many months of focused couch potato inactivity in order for that achievement to occur, but yes, she can quite easily beat me in basketball these days. That's, that's one thing that I've accomplished as well. But as I reflected um, about these <laughs> incredible accomplishments of 2017 and thought about what's next for 2018, it kind of brought me back to Ten years ago, which actually our ministry, the ministry that my wife Aruna and I helped to establish in India called Equip Asia, we established that 20 years ago. So we celebrated this year our 20th anniversary of that ministry. Thank you. But I'll tell you what, 10 years ago, I was pretty distraught. I mean, we had done some amazing things in those first 10 years of those ministry, uh, the first 10 years of of our ministry, um, it had grown beyond what we had imagined. Uh, We went from just Aruna and I uh, basically volunteering with some other volunteers to work with these kids with disabilities in this part of South India that we had this outreach in where there was absolutely no work with the disabled. And after 10 years' time, we had 
30 people working for us full-time, 30 full-time nationals. We're reaching out to over 1,500 kids with disabilities and had some ministry with the leprosy affected as well because leprosy is a big issue in India and had outreach in a couple of um, leprosy colonies. And I think one of the crowning pinnacle uh, moments in that 10 years was in 2007 when we dedicated this 33,000-square-foot rehabilitation center that the Lord had provided funding for for us to build on this four-acre campus um, just outside of the, Hubli, uh, of the city that we were working in, Hubli, India. And so we had awesome things to really be, like, proud of. But for some reason, I felt disillusioned. I, f- I felt almost repulsed by what we had accomplished. And... It was partly because I couldn't see what we had accomplished in the Bible. I couldn't see how it was biblical. I mean, Jesus never built any buildings. Uh, He never went begging for money to get people to support his ministry work like what we were doing. He never had these programs to uh, the physical and socioeconomic needs and educational needs of people. Those just weren't there in what he did. And he didn't seem like he needed to start some organization as well. And it was really bothering me. Something was missing in our ministry. And so as I reflected on those 10 years of time back then and wondered what was next, I really was kind of disillusioned. I didn't know what was next. I couldn't understand what thing was missing in our work. That disappointing realization reminds me of this story, and I told this story at our men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, so forgive me guys for telling it again, but it reminds me of the story of the painter. Some of you may have heard this story. A painter who sets his ladder up to paint the broadside of this barn. And um, he struggled to get his heavy ladder in place, and I know exactly how he feels because I used to be a painter. When I was in my summer holidays uh, during those college days, I used to paint where I came from in Cattaraugus, New York. I, I worked for a guy who was a painter. He had these huge wooden ladders uh, that went up to about 30 feet high, so we really struggled to get those ladders in place. And uh, this gentleman was kind of a cheapskate, nice fella, but kind of a cheapskate. And so Being that they were wooden ladders, occasionally the rungs would get a little weak, and so rather than change out the ladder and get some new ones that were more safe for his painters, he would simply tie a little red piece of cloth on those rungs to make sure that we didn't step on them too heavily. Otherwise, we would fall to our death. Um, But I can only imagine that situation with this painter and his story because As he sets up, and I'm thinking about myself as I used to have to set up these heavy wooden ladders and spend time securing them and then spend time getting all of my apparatus on to be able to climb up to the top of it. I wanted to make sure that my paintbrushes were secure in my coveralls as well as my scraper and I had that paint all mixed properly and I had the hook with me and had that paint and I would carefully, very carefully, because of these ladders, like I just told you, very carefully crawl up this ladder to get 30 feet high, making sure that on occasion I would have to crawl over some rungs that weren't very safe. 
I can only imagine if this guy in this story was working for my painter boss, how arduous of a task that would be to get that ladder set up and to get all the way to the top. But the thing with this story is that as he got to the top, he realized that he had leaned his ladder against the wrong wall. What a disappointment. (laughs) After all that hard work, he had leaned his ladder against the wrong wall. And you know, I I Google searched this little story and uh, came across a a comment from author Stephen Covey, uh, who wrote uh, the the, uh, book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Most people have, have read that book or are aware of it. He says, in regard to this story, Stephen says, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. Gee, thank you, Stephen, for sharing that for us. But that's kind of where I felt. I felt like every step I was taking in the ministry, going forward with it, was getting me to the wrong place faster. And it was very disillusioning. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. As we reflect on today's passage in Matthew 28, I really wonder if the disciples felt a bit of this as well. As they were listening to Jesus on the mountain as he was commissioning them to go make disciples. And the reason was because they had committed their lives to follow Jesus because they believed what? I mean, they believed that he was the Messiah who was going to restore Israel to its greatness. I mean, he'd worked, he'd done all the, all the signs were pointing to the fact that he was the Messiah. He'd, he'd worked miracles like no other person had. He was prophesying as in the days of Elijah. He was speaking boldly truths and new insights. And finally, he was resurrected. Now not even death could hold him. I mean, it's, it's what superhero movies are, mo- are made of. You know, Jesus, the superhero, has been resurrected, and now as the Messiah, he's going to restore Israel. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, a, a description of the situation that we read about in Matthew 28 is there as well. And it says, the disciples gathered around him and asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples were thinking that this resurrected Jesus in his Messiahship is going to reign and reign mightily. But Jesus responds to that question, and this is my paraphrase in this way. No, it's not for you to know the times or the dates for all that to happen. But you're going to receive power from on high and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you till the end of this age. And as I thought about that, I imagined that these disciples were like, what? What? 
I mean, that's what our what's next is, to go and make disciples? We're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? I mean, you have all authority now, Jesus. Why can't you use that authority to force people to obey you and force justice and righteousness in the world? We thought you were going to be our leader to, to fight for our values and make sure all society obeys them, whether they like it or not. How can you tell us that now it's our job to go and make disciples? What does that have to do with being a Messiah? Jesus' three years of ministry on earth, people, think about this. His three years of ministry on earth, his preaching, his signs and wonders, his miracles, his prophecy, and then his death and resurrection culminates not in evil being wiped out from the face of the earth, not in enemies of God being destroyed, not in justice being restored, not in creation being made anew, not in the poor being made rich, not in mass healings of the sick and the lame, not in anything that the disciples expected from a Messiah. Instead, Jesus' time on earth culminates in a commission to his disciples telling them to go and make disciples who obey his commands. To basically do the same thing that Jesus did among them. And I believe, friends, as I meditated on this, I believe that this is the wall on which we are to lean our ladder and pour our energies into climbing. From Jesus' ascension until now, that is our purpose of his believers, of his disciples, is to go and make disciples and teach them to obey the commands of Jesus. That's our purpose. And when I realized that, and Arun and I together realized it, Praise God from awesome teaching and awesome um, discipleship of ourselves by friends uh, at our ministry that we were working under. We returned to India in the year 2010 and we began helping our ministry there incorporate disciple making and house church planning as the core outcome of our disability ministry. And after doing so, we began seeing how this work among the disabled had not been done in vain. We finally understood why God had that ministry raised up. It became a platform for multiplying disciples of Jesus in these totally unreached Indian villages. God began using people with disabilities. And this is the amazing thing. God began using the very people that we felt sorry for and had pity on and thought, oh, we need to help them in their suffering. God used those very people to disciple their own in their villages. God used those very people to bring miracles and healing in the lives of others in those villages. God used those very people to be the disciplers to fulfill Jesus' great commission 
among their community members. And these discipleship groups that they eventually started forming, spontaneously, okay, oftentimes, they weren't just sitting around singing kumbaya and doing nothing. They were supporting one another in their financial needs. They were praying for one another and for neighbors and friends, for their healing and for God to do works in their lives. They were comforting one another. As these groups of people began living out the commands of Jesus, it not only impacted their own lives, but it started bringing transformation in the lives of other people. Folks, what was happening is Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God to people, not through force, but through discipleship. And what was key in that bringing of his kingdom was our willingness to obey his command to go make disciples. That was key. And I can stand here confidently saying that that's our what's next for 2018 is to listen to the command and call of Jesus to go and make disciples. Now, before you get all jittery and think, okay, now what's Tim going to tell us what to do here? Hmm. I want us to take a look at that command real briefly. And the first part of it says, go make disciples. And in the Greek, you can, you can understand that Greek in another way in the English, and that, that is, as you go, make disciples. In other words, as you go where God leads you, whether it be in your job or in your neighborhood or any other place that God has you, make disciples who obey Jesus. Follow that command. This as-you-go doesn't necessarily mean that you have to leave your current job or profession to go full-time in disciple-making, like Pastor Bill or Pastor Kristen. doesn't mean that. As-you-go, make disciples. Now, sometimes some might be called to being a pastor or a ministry leader, but it doesn't always happen in that way. This as-you-go also doesn't mean that you have to move to another place in the world that has not yet been reached by the gospel. Sometimes it can mean that, but it doesn't always mean that. As you go, make disciples. As you go means allowing God to use you in whatever situation you find yourself in as a platform for making disciples of Jesus. That's exactly what we got to experience in India. And today, as our team there goes about ministering to the physical and educational and socioeconomic needs, all this stuff that we thought was pretty meaningless and unbiblical, but as they're doing that, God is using that as a platform to make disciples of Jesus. And those disciples are bringing his commands and his kingdom into their communities, and themselves, they in turn, are bringing this transformation to their own people. So number one about that great commission, as you go, 
Don't think that we need to necessarily change things up. God may be calling some of us to change our location or change our profession. But really what it means is as you go about your life, make disciples. Have that as your intention and purpose. Wherever God has called you, use that as your platform to make disciples. The second thing is, this is not a mission God necessarily expects us to do on our own. Throughout the New Testament, we see the disciples carrying out the Great Commission, not by themselves, but more oftentimes with other people. You've got Paul doing it with Silas and Barnabas and Timothy. You've got Peter and John going, preaching the gospel and making disciples together. In Luke 10, you've got the 72 that are paired up to go from village to village to find persons of peace and make disciples. So sometimes, but, not a, but most often, God is not calling us as a lone ranger out there to make disciples. He's having us do it in teams. And I believe those teams bring encouragement when times get difficult, times get tough. They also bring us boldness as we work together on fulfilling this commission Jesus has given us. Alan Hirsch talks a, lot, a little bit about this kind of team effort. Um, he's the author of this missional, uh, this book on what's called missional discipleship called The Forgotten Ways. He's the author of many other books as well. But he's a, a, a real um, highly regarded voice in Christian circles. Um, and he, he talks about this teamwork, this team-oriented missional discipleship as communitas, communitas. It's a Latin word that means a missional, I guess, a mission-oriented community that's on a mission to achieve something awesome or great. And, and Hirsch compares this to what we see in movies, and so often, I was just talking to Tom Bemis about so often how we see in movies these teams of people that are somehow given a task to do something dangerous, but something awesome. And you see it in the superhero movies all the time, where you've got superheroes, especially now, these days, you've got superheroes working together to make something happen. Hirsch talks about, uh, brings up um, Star Wars, and how in Star Wars you've got a team of people working together to fight the evil empire. And so in Star Wars, as I was thinking about Star Wars, I was trying to relate it to uh, the leadership team here at Bemis Point United Methodist Church. And I thought about, you know, I mean, Kristen, Pastor Kristen's an easy one. Princess Leia, right? Okay. Brandon, based on his little video that he did last week, and the fact that he's so stinking skinny, I would call him C-3PO. And I got, you know, I was thinking, okay, I'm Han Solo, but no. No, there's another Han Solo, That's, that guy's name is Phil Baker. Because as Phil drove our float through 3rd Street, I mean, he was driving it like Han Solo would drive the, the Millennium Falcon, just amazingly. And then there's Pastor Bill, maybe Luke Skywalker, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, or Chewbacca, depending on, you know, what you think about Bill. Brendan, you're not going to, you're not recording this, are you, back there, Monty? Yeah. Whatever you do record, please destroy it after the service. 
But my point is, we're not called into this mission of Jesus of making disciples alone, okay? This is something he's calling us as a body together to do, and we should be continually coming together and reflecting on how we're doing making disciples. And this might even mean, as we kind of, you know, work it out, work out the details of this, it might mean that we're in groups with people that we see on a regular basis who are coming together to pray and to encourage one another and to understand how we can do a better job in fulfilling this great commission that Jesus left us with when he left this earth and ascended into heaven. There is much to be said about this great commission of Jesus. And as the church, as we the church proceed, and as you proceed as individuals into the year 2018, we're going to, we as the church, are going to be pressing more into this idea of getting us as a body to make disciples. And I'll tell you what, in preparing for this sermon, this has been as much a challenge to me as it is to anyone else. You know, we've been back from India since 2015, and I look back, as I look back at my time, especially in preparation for the sermon, I can't say that I've been a very stellar disciple maker. But one thing that I've realized in the sermon is that somehow I've got to figure out how to be about Jesus' commission of making disciples. And I hope and pray that as we go forward in 2018, you'll think about the same. And as we wind down our time here today, um, which today is our last service, morning service of 2008, uh, 2017, I'd like you to take away two things. If you're disillusioned with your walk with Christ or have failed to understand what the point is in your life with him. You know, there's that one song, um, Oh, Come to the Altar. And in the beginning of that song, it just talks something about being fed up with yourself, sick of yourself. If you're disillusioned and not sure what you're supposed to do going forward, I can tell you right now, the point Christ has for you, the mission that he's called you on is to go in whatever capacity you have, in whatever situation you have, and make disciples. That's the mission that he's called us all on. That's one of your answers to what's next for 2018. Not exclusively, But I pray that's one of the things that you incorporate in thinking about 2018 when you think about planning out. I need to be a better discipler. I need to figure that out. I need to figure out why I'm too shy to make disciples of others. I need to figure out why I'm too shy to even talk about Jesus with other people. And I need help to do that. And you know what? This church... And I can say on behalf of the leadership team here, Pastor Bill, Pastor Kristen, and the whole team, we're trying to figure out that as well, how we can help the body become better fulfillers of this commission Jesus has given us of making disciples. And that's something we're going to press into in 2018. 
And just keep in mind in that regard, God can use in whatever situation you're in, God, most every situation you are in, God can use you to be a disciple maker. But the second thing is this that I want you to take away. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody here today. And that's that if we're not making disciples and Jesus' mission of disciple-making is not an important part of our walk with him, then isn't something wrong with our relationship with Christ? Haven't we somehow misunderstood something? Because he culminated his ministry on earth with this task to us. And if this task is not at the forefront of our trying to think out what we're supposed to do for him and how we're supposed to live our lives for him, something must be wrong. Something must be wrong with our understanding of of what it is to be a Christian. Again, I pray in 2018 that we as a leadership team will be able to press in to this discipleship mission that Jesus has given us and be a part of equipping you as well as ourselves to be better disciple makers in 2018. Let's close this time with prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to reflect as has been reflected many times, but to reflect once again on what you left your believers, your followers, your disciples with, the mission that you have called each one of them into to go make disciples who are baptized and who obey. Father, I've seen how this can change little communities in India, can change people's lives in ways that we never imagined, that we were never able to program. You are doing awesome work, Lord God. Help us to be a part of that. Help us to have a hunger inside to understand how we can be used by you in this mission that you've given us to go and make disciples of all nations. And Lord, we know that we can't do this without your power. And we can't do this without your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding, without the Spirit of God working among those who need you in their lives. We know we can't do it without you, Lord God. I pray in in 2018 you'll help us to understand how to become more dependent upon you to fulfill this great mission that you've given your people, your disciples, to fulfill in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.